Hi, yeah, John. I, I have some ideas for the movie. Uh, yeah. yeah, first of all, I think, are you sitting down? Because there's several things. First of all, I think I should only wear kimonos. And I think I should have kabuki makeup about well, 75% of the time. Yeah, that just, that just says genetic scientist to me. Then I think I should have some very bad British teeth. This is something that makes it even more difficult to understand me. And then I want, I mean, talk about accessories. I want a little person, a little, a human person, horrible looking. You should be horrible. Like if you stuck a foot in a meat grinder and then you took the meat and you tried to make a little sculpture of a person, but then the foot meat started to melt in the heat and it falls apart. And so then actually the sculpture itself looks more like a foot than a person. And then you give the little foot meat sculpture a face and you dress it up in the same clothes that I wear on every scene. That'd be nice. And when I play piano, or did I tell you I'm playing piano in this? And wherever I play piano, we could put a toy piano on top of my piano and then little meat foot can play the piano too. I think that'll be illuminating. And then I want to find a time when I can wear an ice bucket on my head and little meat foot or somebody, maybe Veruca Salt. Veruca, that's what I said. Veruca Salt can put some ice in it. But then, and, but you never know why I'm going to wear it or when. So nobody will ever know when to have the ice ready. So it'll be like a game and we can call it the ice bucket challenge. And then, and then, I think there should be a grown man wearing a diaper who travels around with a prison warden from the deep south who may or may not be dead. And then they can be chasing a car shaped like a bumblebee that smells like pancakes and only stops in cities that start with the letter S. And I actually think, John, just stay with me. I think we should change the name of the whole movie to episode 14 of Opening Weekend, the podcast that travels back in time to revisit opening weekends of the past and revel in that other great American pastime, going to the movies with our friends. Coming soon this summer at theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And tonight we travel back to August 23rd, 1996, and the release of Marlon Brando's turn in The Island of Dr. Moreau, Edward Burns' second film, She's the One, and the follow-up to 1995's sleeper hit The Brady Bunch movie, titled, what else? A Very Brady Sequel. Before we dive in, though, Fred and Dan, where were you guys in late August of 1996? Oh my God, this was a great time mm -hmm. for all of us. I had just turned 24. I was living on the Upper East Side with our good buddy, Mike, Mikey P. Mm -hmm. And I just started working at Grandma Sylvia's funeral, which was the interactive oh <laughs> Jewish version of Tony and Tina's wedding downtown <laughs> at the Soho Playhouse. And yes. yeah, I was living up on the Upper East Side and we were seeing a lot of movies together, Dan. Now, I think I think you might have been out of town, Jason. I was I in uh, I was Texas, in Texas right? and then New Hampshire. I was at right. two Shakespeare gigs back to back. Yes, because yeah. I did. I did Texas Shakespeare Festival the year before. Mm -hmm. And th this was your first year. And I so 96. Yeah. Yeah. And but you were back because I know we we saw 
one of these great movies, Island of Dr. Moreau, we, we all saw it on the same day. Dan slept yes, over. Right. You slept over at, at our place on the Upper East Side and we saw it. You and I went that day, which is so weird seeing this in the daytime. And then Jason, you and Pete saw I, it later that Pete night. Later we all saw night. it on the same day. At the oh Comic Multiplex. I, we oh my God. Night. Yeah. I remember but it, it was, so uh, vividly. It was a fun summer. Yeah. I was looking at, I was, I was looking through this old photo album and I found tons of pictures from like these exact weeks because oh, I, awesome. I had my birthday at the end of July and we went, we all celebrated. It was a bunch of us. I don't think you were home at this point, Jason, because it Not was around like, your birthday. I was yeah. gone the entire, so I was gone from mid-May until probably this week that this movie oh, okay. came out because mm -hmm. I had, I was, I know I was in New Hampshire pretty much all of yeah, August, but you I must was have home just got, in time. Because we did, this summer also, we went to Great Adventure, Dan. We did a bunch of Great Adventure trips, like oh, you, me, okay, uh, yeah. Jonas, uh, longtime listener, Jonas Cohen, uh, <laughs> uh, Andy Wells, he, like, we, it was a fun summer. We were living in the city. We were, I have pictures of us just completely wasted uh, at Googie's <laughs> downtown. Oh, you remember Googie's? That was this summer? That was this summer. Yeah. You're kidding me. No. I mean, we started to go to wow. those places my senior year in college and we were driving to the city, but this okay. was- this summer, and I was wearing a lot of vests. Really? Yes, a lot of vests. There's a there's a picture of me passed out on the sidewalk with no shirt on and wearing like a suede vest and Jen Pierce licking my ear. Because oh I think my. I passed out. There was one too many tequila shots. You God. can rock a vest though. I mean, you really I can, can rock you a do. Yeah, but at this time it was like I think I was I just started to really discover working out and going to the gym. And I was always like the littlest guy. And suddenly I'm like, Ooh, I got some muscles. I'm going to show them off. And vests are cool. So who needs I, a shirt? I recall smidgen really enjoying your, your, your sculpted oh, muscles. Smidgen. Mm -mm -mm -mm. He missed you. It was those Gilad videos. Yeah, you That's have abs of steel, arms of steel, everything yeah. of steel. Insert Gilad clip here. Watch what the fist is doing. It was a fun summer, and Grandma Sylvia's funeral was wild. That was, uh, I got to work with uh, Jade Barrymore. Uh, Drew Barrymore's mom. mother. Oh my God. Yeah. What actually, was that like? I saw you in that show. My buddy Corey, who went to grad yes. school with me and I, came to see you in that show and had the best time. We had such a great time watching you in that. It was fun. It was so silly. Like I did that show for several years on and off and I played so many different roles. I first started, I played one of the grandsons, Todd Grossman, and I was the pickup artist. And <laughs> my job, I had like two lines in the actual show and the script, but my job was just to go around and hit on all the audience members on the girls. And it was amazing. And like, you know, we've talked about in past episodes how, you know, well, Jason had game, apparently he was going out with college girls to see Superman four. Dan and I didn't know how to talk to girls. And suddenly like, that's what I was getting paid to do was just to go up to women that I would never in a million years approach and just act all like I was, I was, he was the talent coordinator for the tonight show. So that was my line. I would hand them my cards. And he was your Brewster device. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Deviche. <laughs> Deviche. Yeah, it was fun. But Jade Barrymore was lovely. I actually, then I ended up doing uh, an indie film with her oh, a couple right. of years later. What? That's yeah. right. I she was very, she was, she was, you know, she was out there. She was kooky, but she was really, really sweet. Sweet, sweet oh, woman. Good. Did you meet Drew Barrymore? Did she ever come see her mom? And no, oh. no, they were estranged at that oh, point. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. 
Yes. Of course. Um, yeah, no. So I didn't meet Drew. I did uh, meet Jade's breasts several times. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> because she, and I don't, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. She, she had a lot of work done and she was very proud of it. And she was very, she Good was, yeah, she, no, she was someone who was very proud of her body and wasn't she ashamed. She reneed her Russos. Yeah. <laughs> she, oh, she did indeed. Um, yeah, is she no, still she, with us, Jade Barrymore? Is she still with God, us? God, I hope so. Oh, yeah, okay. I, think so. Right. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, no, she was lovely. She was so much fun. That, that whole Good. show was a blast. It was like the craziest cast of characters and I would ride down on my, my 10 speed bike from the Upper East Side every day and <laughs> It was great, but that, and like, I just remember, now, were you away, Dan? Were you doing something then you came back? Cause, or was this, was well, that your first summer in the city? Well, this was the first summer. I, at this exact time, I was getting ready to go back to Florida for my second year of grad school. Oh, okay. So my first year of grad school was very, very trying, very, very mm -hmm. stressful. It was like, you know, I went to grad school and I was in Sarasota, Florida, which is this beautiful, almost like an elderly resort community that I had an acting. Sarasota. It's Yeah, you've been to Sarasota. It Many has like times. an acting school in the middle of it called the FSU Oslo Conservatory. And, and the first year is, I mean, it was a really hardcore program. It was a break you down and build you back up kind of a program. And I was fried by the end of that first year. Mm. You know, I learned so much, but I was destroyed. So, so it was, it, it makes total sense to me that in that summer I was reaching out to you guys, mm. <laughs> you know, and that I was like, let's get together. Let's be in the city. Let's go to movies. Let's, let's have sleepovers. Let's, let's just hang out and, and go carousing and, 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 uh, let's and tearing, have sleepovers. Up the, tearing up the city. But you know what I mean? Right. It was like that comfort of like, sleepover. yeah, let's all have a sleepover. Uh, you know, that I was seeking that comfort of like, home, yeah. friends from home and friends from college and you guys, you know, and so that makes sense to me. And all, as you're talking, Fred, all these memories are rushing back to me of of that summer now, because when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I must have been so stressed out because I was about to go back for year two of grad school. But actually, it was a great summer because it was like whew, it was a big release. Yeah, we had fun. In fact, and I think we, we might have talked about this before. Uh, this was the summer and I have the picture to prove it where, like I said, we went to great adventure and yes. then afterwards you drove, you were in your firebird, you read firebird and we stopped at a Taco Bell afterwards oh. and we bought so much Taco Bell. It just covered the back hood of your car. And I <laughs> have that picture. Right. It was, oh my God. We have yeah. to find it. We have to oh. post it. And that old Firebird, I mean, that got me back and forth down to Florida many, many times. Oh, wow. And, and right. I had it in college and it had T-tops that leaked. Every car I had had T-tops <laughs> and they all leaked. <laughs> and I think T-tops should be outlawed, but it was a great car. What were um, you doing in New Hampshire? So I did Texas and that was great and very uh, affirming. And then I went right from there, literally the next day, I went to New Hampshire to start rehearsals. I think I flew from Texas. No, I flew from Texas to New York and then turned around and got on another plane at LaGuardia and like took like a, a puddle jumper plane to um, uh, wherever it was in New Hampshire because I had to do a show that night, what? unrehearsed Shakespeare, which is something I did a lot of in New York City at this oh, time right. where I would just, in fact, you saw me do some, Fred. I think you saw me at BAM, I did at Bam. Yeah. doing Peter Quince in Midsummer with Kristen Linklater and yeah. a bunch of people. Jesus. Um, and it was like, basically, you literally just, you had your script, you could learn your lines or not learn your lines, but you just, you had your lines all uh, printed out on a scroll, basically a roll. That's where you get the word roll from in a play. Nice. It's from these rolls that you had your parts rolled up on in Shakespeare's day. And anyway, it, it was just, you know, it was just 
madness and you would just a whole cast would come together if you had to do a fight or a song or a dance you would rehearse that beforehand but otherwise nothing else you just took cues from the text we worked with the first folio of Shakespeare and you would just jump in running and and perform it for an audience and sometimes it was magical and sometimes it was a clusterfuck and you know whatever so <laughs> so i remember i think i literally got off the plane met some people and was like hey all right we're doing midsummer tonight and i did oberon and that but uh so the best part of that summer so right before i went and saw island of dr moreau with pete back in new york once i got home i spent this month in new hampshire in this weird hotel that wasn't a hotel yet it was under it was out in the woods in this kind of desolate country road there was this place. It basically looked like a, a big ranch house or a, a barn or something. It was it was it was so weird. It was called the Blaisdell Hotel. And was there a sign that not, said Unabomber's Welcome? It had it had not. It was not open. For, they were literally just fit, putting the finishing touches on constructing the thing. So it still hadn't been. It's all wood, but it looked like it was from the seventies. All wood paneling and this shag carpeting. And we were all staying in this giant kind of makeshift new hotel and the only other person who was around ever was the guy who ran it called mr blysdell who looked like something out of twin peaks he was like about he was not much taller than the little Did he speak guy backwards and, <laughs> yeah, but more or less he had like some sort of hitch in his neck he couldn't move he his neck oh. and his head was basically set in between his shoulders and he just he had no range of movement he couldn't move his head and he had this little weird face he was very much like I seem, to remember, you, guy. I um, seem to remember you telling me stories about this well, guy. This is all the, ringing bells. The main bells. story is we all thought we were going to be fucking killed because- Of course he, you did. Every once in a while, he would go into this one room. It seemed like a supply closet or something. Oh, no. And when this he would come out- Norman Bates-ish. when he would oh, come yeah, out, yeah. there was- he, I, I never saw him come out with any supplies, but I'd see the guy oh. go in sometimes. So one night, we're playing cards or something, and we're like, we're like, what is that room? What is that room? And one of us- no, 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 the no. Other, Don't like, do no. it. No. Go and check it out. This is, like, the this is the beginning of a trailer oh, for a horror wow. movie. Literally, though, Fred, the, so the only other human we saw there except from us was this man, this little man, like, hi, I'm Mr. Blasdale. He's like four feet tall. <laughs> One night we go into this, this closet. I don't know what we thought we'd see there, but because we never saw him take anything. We opened it up. There were, it was literally completely bare except for two rolls of paper towels and on each of the rolls was a mask one mask was a gorilla mask and the other one was like a guy with like a knife through his head like some horror movie mask and they were just sitting on top of these two rolls of paper towel in an otherwise pristine supply closet and it was just two horror masks oh come on these. come we, the fuck on that. and then we were like it was like it was like it was in Scooby-Doo or something. They were like, Wah! and our legs kind of went. <laughs> I want to crawl up like Patrick Dempsey and cry in a shit. I'm terrified and now. Like, That's one of the scariest dude. things I've ever heard. Did you ever like, get an explanation? Just knew. We never talked to him about it. I think he was just going in there and putting on masks and then probably. When you would like ask him. Like, those paper towels. I wouldn't <laughs> ask him anything. What am I going to ask him? Hello, stranger. Hello, strange man with no neck who runs this. <laughs> No, uh, this I death mean, house if, in the middle of the woods. If, if you called wow. up, you're like, Mr. Blysdale, I need, um, I'm out of toilet paper. And then would like the gorilla show up? And be like, Here's your toilet somehow, paper. But somehow the paper uh, yes, appeared. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, send, I'll send my helper up. And then the gorilla was there. <laughs> That'd be I amazing. Wish, I wish. I, I kept, you know, and we were like, you know, one, one of the guys was like, we should take, we should take the mask. We should. It was like, no. What? Just but there was nothing mask. else I, in the room. 
nothing else that I can remember. I mean, it was that bare. I mean, it might have been it might have been a rusty <laughs> knife. No, I don't. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was the summer. It was a. Uh, it was very Brady summer. No, I have no segue for that. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> that, sa- that sounds like did he did he have a little idol that said taboo? <laughs> if you, that's the thing, if you if you no, it's a good thing because if you picked up that gorilla mask, you totally would have wiped out during the surfing competition. <laughs> oh my god, oh it would have been god. a mess. It's a good thing you didn't touch it's that. It's a good thing. Exactly. It's a good thing I just behaved like a good little boy. And <laughs> went to see. <laughs> A very Brady sequel, <laughs> which I did go see. Here's the story. The trusting and anachronistic Brady family, still as stuck in the 1970s as ever, gets a harsh jolt of 1990s reality when scheming con artist Trevor Thomas, played by Tim Matheson, shows up at their home claiming that he's the long-missing first husband of Brady matriarch Carol, played by Shelley Long. However, Carol's real husband, the good-natured Mike Brady, played by Gary Cole, is none too happy about their house guest. The Brady kids eventually catch wind of the deception, leading to an antic-filled excursion to Hawaii when the imposter steals a prized family possession. Arlene Sanford replaced Betty Thomas in the director's chair when Thomas moved on to the Howard Stern biopic Private Parts, and in the end, a very Brady sequel did not spawn a threequel, making only $21.4 million worldwide after an opening weekend take of only $7 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of a very Brady sequel? I had a very Brady time. I had a very good time. Um, uh, Me too. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it, this is a very particular kind of of movie it's a it's like airplane in the sense that it's just as it's just there as an excuse for bits right you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to get caught up in anything and 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 really invest but it's just but the bits are solid you know the bits are are pretty solid they're pretty funny i feel like a lot of them probably maybe not a lot of them but half of them could have been funnier in the execution but it made me it made me laugh enough that girl who plays jan is hysterical She's so funny. I think she steals the movie. Oh, they're from my boyfriend, George Glass. How did he know that daisies are my favorite? The big difference between this movie and the previous one, as I remember, is that the previous one, the novelty of it is basically seeing them in the world. You know, it's like the world is like, who the fuck are these knuckleheads? You know, it's such a funny idea. (laughs) Yeah, the first one is so great. I think this one doesn't do that as much. It's a there's a little bit of that because it's been because it had been played. It's kind of it's a one joke premise essentially that they kind of mined everything they could from in the first one. In the first movie, I love when they go to Sears in the first one. Hysterical! They're like, we're going to (laughs) Sears. That was so funny. But in this one, it has more of a plot, I guess. Yeah, yes, because they they, kind of did what they, you know, like yeah. They played that idea, yeah. that concept of like, what if this family out of time, the 70s family, <laughs> right. who doesn't know that it's not the 70s anymore. It's a good idea. It's a very good idea. Really it was such a unique way to do one of those 
TV movies, which were so all the rage in, in the 90s, all these like mm. kind of updates, because that was it. Every week it was like in a car 54, where are you? The Flintstones, everything. I mean, it was just oh, Jesus, every you're right. old TV show from the 50s, 60s and 70s was being remade into a movie. And that one was the most clever one that I can think of. And I I loved the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, I the, first one, the first one I thought was brilliant. I loved it. We I watched, I recently watched both of them because I wanted to watch them with the kids. Oh, good. Which was so fascinating because the kids <laughs> did they watched that first movie and they we're saying this is terrible. Oh, oh my god, oh. they're all so bad because there's no point of reference for them. Right. So no once reference. we and I'm they have no context. Kate yeah. and I are howling, and I howled the first time I saw it because, my God, do they get it right? And they never. Oh, they nail it. I mean, there, there is like there's a tongue in cheek thing, but they play the Brady stuff so straight. Those actors, that casting yeah. Gary is Cole. on. Gary He's Cole and Shelley Long yeah. are magical. As an architect, I've learned the lesson that a house isn't just made of fake wood paneling, shag carpeting, and formica. And I love even the beginning. They don't, you know, do a little wink, wink when they when they recreate the opening titles. They just do the opening titles. Yes, it's so sincerely. You know, it's so yeah. sincere, and that's what makes it work. And I yeah. love. And you're right. The the conceit. It's it's amazing. It's brilliant. The conceit of this family that is stuck in this world, but and it's so funny that that movie, the first one, is such a time capsule of the '90s. I feel mm-hmm. like if you want to know yeah. what the '90s are like, you watch that and like Singles, which is a very different type of movie, but also very much is a movie that I love, but very much of its time. And this is very much of its time. Yeah, it's uh, very funny the layers of meta watching this movie too, because like you said like it's such a time capsule of the '90s while being such a comment on the '70s, and now to watch it twenty something years later you're like it's as much like the 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 90s stuff feels as arch and as commented on in a way as the 70s stuff it's like the turducken of time capsule movies it's just like (laughs) it's just one era in another era and now we're watching it from this vantage point it was pretty it was pretty fun are you the skinny decaf mochaccino grande who you calling skinny the sequel i it, it disappointed me I wasn't, oh, yeah. um, it, it, it was a letdown. There was still the point of reference stuff because like, I love the fact that the whole movie is based on that fucking horse, that yeah. horse <laughs> that if you know, that's the really there in the show, show right? It's there. It is never spoken no, it's about. Just, it's just I a mean, set piece uh, that you always see like that, like that kind great. of like, is it a little, a uh, wooden soldier or something on the bedroom wall. There's like the this one thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's oh, some the set design iconic is, things that, that they nail you it. just remember from the TV show, but were, are never explained or talked about on the TV show. It's just set dressing, but it's so iconic. But then you can make it, you can build a plot around it. It's like, you know that horse there? That ceramic yeah. horse? Yeah. That's worth it's, a lot of money. So the whole movie <laughs> is a joke about a piece of, of set decoration from yes. the 70s. Yeah. I think Tim Matheson was so miscast i agree he was not up to it in no. the way that no. michael mckeon was the foil in the first one and he was so great and <gasps> right. you know what's, he didn't he was an you know what's choice. funny though it, it, even in the first one i feel like the actors who weren't the brady's did not fare that well didn't like michael mckeon did it he did as well a job as he could but he still had some pretty silly stuff it's not mm. it's you know he, he's normally a guy who can sort of like do no wrong and there are definitely some moments where i was like oh jesus although my favorite <laughs> part is in the first one when he first talks to cindy and she's talking he just goes i i don't understand you what do you want mom asked me to ask you if there's any male flesh here by mistake what 
Mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by the sink. No, not a clue. She wants the Brady's mail, Larry! Thank you, darling. So kind of you to climb out from under your hangover. Tim Matheson seemed like a character you would see on the Brady Bunch. Like, it should have been someone with, like, rougher edges. I, very I was trying good to think, point. like, who would That's have... That's a very good point. If, like, Steve Buscemi done... or somebody was, yeah. like, you know... Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, we, we, we see him, like, waking up and he's, like, coughing, but, like, lighting a cigarette or something in his, in his underwear. <laughs> well, he's got it iconically like, oh God, from some, the 90s. Would somebody very yeah. seedy. Oh, yeah. Very, but, he, but he's yeah. also got to be really, really <laughs> handsome and Dennis sexy Hopper. because... <laughs> But he's got to be someone that, like, that ever they all fall in love with, you know? Like, I was trying to think, like, right, I feel like it. someone like Bradley Cooper would do that role today. Matheson felt like somebody that replaced somebody else. It felt a little like, <laughs> you, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. I just felt like, because it, it's a big, big part. The first movie was a big enough hit that you would think, you know what I mean? You would think they would have been able to get somebody I agree else. That, not that Tim yeah. Matheson's not a name or anything, but just no, it but just that. wasn't the right fit and i think um how about you know, kurt think, russell <laughs> yeah, Ooh, i feel like that, that would have been really funny right that could have been good there was, yeah there was something about it there was something about his cast and the fact that he carried so much weight barry bostwick <laughs> no that you know actually would have been, been great that actually would have been great because no, he would have no, understood no. the archness of it who played Greg in the TV show. Oh, that one of them. Get one of the Barry Williams come back. Like, yeah, yeah. Get Barry Williams to come back and like grow a beard and some shit. And then then you get the joke of like, because didn't Barry Williams and Florence Henderson actually like have have they did? Yeah. So I don't know if they got it on, but there was a thing between them. Because then you could play that That up to the to the moon. Barry Williams is in the first Brady one. He plays he plays like a oh. music producer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Greg so wants to be Johnny Bravo. You know, I'd, um, I'd seen the first one so many times. I love that movie. And I thought about rewatching it before this, but then I thought, you know too. what? I remember seeing a very Brady sequel in the theater and feeling that same thing, Fred, feeling disappointed in it in comparison to the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah. And I thought it might be fun to just watch, because I don't think I ever saw it again after... Uh, the sequel. I think I only saw it yeah. in the movie theater in 96 and never saw it again. So I was like, it might be fun to just watch it now and see if I get any pleasure from it or if it just doesn't hold up as a movie at all. And it held up pretty well for me. Like Kate and I were watching it and we hmm. were both like, boy, this is pretty funny. And I was like, yeah, because the actors are great. And that idea is yeah. a great, fun idea. I just love the fact that it doesn't matter how mean spirited everyone else is. Where people's like, what the fuck are you wearing, Brady? <laughs> yeah. They don't care. They love what they do. This is who they are. And that's really the theme of the movie. I think it's yeah. about they them, you know, their family. We stick together. Yep. Love- We're family. Mm-hmm. You know, why wouldn't we have a potato sack race? You know, um, <laughs> but yeah. I almost, and at, at the end of the first movie, when they do the credits at the end, that's when you see the actor sort of fucking around. And like, mm-hmm. there's that one moment where Alice in the first movie comes out and she's wearing like a leather. Yeah, she's like an s and She's thing. fucking Sam. Yeah. Yes. And yes. and they play around with that at the end credits. And I almost, and they, they do get a little subversive in Brady's sequel with the whole Greg and Marsha stuff. They do. Which is yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, I that's almost, fantastic. I, I almost feel like, that's what they should have done with the second one. Like, just go further, just go really subversive. But yeah. like, I feel like they tried to with the tripping with the Brady's thing. And that was just, boo. that was so lame. And that could that have been the worst so part. funny. That animated that was sequence was fucking yeah. lame. Were they spoofing it, something in particular? Was there a Brady's cartoon on Saturday mornings or something that they was, were trying to spoof that, I think, there? It, it's just, it, I think there was, but I think, but it, you can even tell the animation is so, poor and so 
rushed. The, felt, yeah, felt there's so rushed. no there effort no put in. You're right. No effort, oh. no jokes, no punchline. Because I thought the same thing. I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to be on shrooms around the Brady's. What is that going to be like? I thought it was going to be that really funny. Be and it kind no of, payoff. It starts and ends immediately. No yeah. payoff. You're right. It's the worst part of the movie. The, yeah. the first movie was such a surprise hit. Someone actually gave you money to make a second one. Just go nuts, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, Gremlins I, to it. Just kind of yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Why go. not? That's a good corollary, yeah. Y'all looking like a bunch of sad sacks. This is G2, people. We writing Gremlins too. It should be a party. But you know what? I think it's also like, I kept thinking as I was watching, I was like, Betty Thomas didn't make this. Betty Thomas didn't make this. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. It's that she, not that she, I mean. She's so talented. She's, she's very, very funny. She's very good. I, she does, you know, I mentioned that she directed private parts. She does a wonderful job with that movie and with kind of humanizing Howard Stern for a mass audience. It's pretty amazing that she was, that everything she did with private parts. And it's amazing what she did with Brady Bunch movies. She's very uh, underrated talent. I I agree. Neither of those movies, private parts, nor Brady Bunch should have been as good as they were. They should have, should have been anywhere near as good as they were. So that's, I think she's the key that's missing. And then you take her out of this. I think the actors still knew what they 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 Absolutely. brought it. They had it down They're in so spades. Good. They have it down. They wanted to do it again. It was fun. They still had. They were playing at the same level they were in the first movie. But the the construction of it uh, as a whole just doesn't uh, doesn't live up to it. I think if Betty Thomas stayed, she would have been like, okay, well, we did this once. How do we take it to that other level? I think she would have thought more along the lines of what you said, Fred. I think that's a great suggestion. Like we did that, so how do we? push it to the next level. Um, I did. I did love, um, I think you're absolutely right, Jason. And I did love the Jan girl. She just killed me. Everything. I mean, because she is doing Eve Plum, but also Mm -hmm. kind of just, Turning, turning up the volume on an Eve Plum uh, uh, impression, which is a hard fucking thing to do. You know, oh, you yeah. don't think like of Eve Plum, who played Jan, as like somebody to really imitate. But she does it. She turns up the volume on the on the impression just enough to like when she says, wet, I'll be wet or whatever she says. You oh know, my God, it's so like funny. and the hair going back and forth. She killed me like crazy. But, you know, my favorite Jennifer Elise Cox is her name. Oh, she's terrific. She's terrific. She's very good. My favorite joke in this movie was John Hillerman offering them a macadamia nut. (laughs) Do you know why that's funny? Yeah, he did the commercials for macadamia nuts. uh, I was like, oh, that's fantastic. I thought he was great. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, he's terrific. He was the Vincent Price character. He was right. he was playing the Vincent Price doctor from the Hawaii episode. But he's also his character he's, from he's Magnum being, PI. He's also being yes, yeah, yes, he's yes. being himself. Yeah, he's being what he's known best for. And I thought yeah. he was wonderful. I was like, <laughs> man, did he make the most out of that bit with the whole thing about Gilligan's Island at the end? That was oh, a funny, funny little twist. She told me how you sabotaged the boat you were traveling on when you found the horse. And bad luck for you, Mr. Thomas. My son was first mate on that boat. So thanks to you. I'll never see my boy, Gilligan, again. And I'll never see my husband, the professor. Let's not be hasty. I mean, there's always the chance the ship washed up on the shore of some uncharted desert isle. Enough. The very idea of it, those poor people stuck on an island for the rest of their lives? No, let's face it. The minnow was lost. 
That was, that a was very funny. And I, I, let's face I it, the minute was lost. Dead straight. He was so good and so sincere. I thought it was like very sweet. I thought this is just a cameo that should just be like the Rosie O'Donnell Zsa, Zsa Gabor thing, like just oh, in and out no. and embarrassing. Right. Yeah, but right. it that wasn't. Was it was awful. like, oh, he's a real character, and he was pretty. He was he was very sweet. Yeah, what with the them fuck was that about? That was that was just Zsa. that was just that '90s thing that happens where you just plug, you know, you just t- taking a couple celebrities and just plugging them in for like, yeah, oh, you put them God, in there from the from the because they're from the past. Why that. Rosie O'Donnell's you know, in there? I don't know. So it's a free country. I'm a person. But did you watch a lot of '70s TV in the '80s? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They okay. were on all. We watched the Brady yeah. Bunch constantly. I mean, I know that that and that again. That was the fun thing about watching both movies is that I just forgot all those little mo- even you know Greg calling his dad Mike. I'm like, oh my god, that's right in the attic. You know everything. There's I, I, I know that, that show one, yeah. so so well, and I I, get, I think hmm. I forgot how well I knew it. But yeah, we watched that. We watched Gilligan's Island, uh, which I never really liked even as a kid. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> thinking, this Island? isn't very good. It's yeah, slightly but we repetitive, that. Gilligan's Island. Just slightly. <laughs> Do they get off the island? No, they don't. <laughs> 94 episodes later. Are they Globetrotters here family. No. Oh, the Globetrotters the Globetrotter showed up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I remember liking Partridge Family a little more than Brady Bunch when I was a kid. Oh, really? I did. I don't know why. I think I, rem- I remembered liking. It was a little cooler. It was a little cooler. They were all musicians. and Although I guess these kids were supposed to be musicians. <laughs> Um, you know I liked Partridge un- Family. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the eldest sister. Uh, oh, um, on Partridge Family. Yeah, Susan Day. Susan, Susan Day. Susan yeah. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Susan Day. She was I had beautiful. a big crush on Ruben. Um, Christine Taylor is great in this as Marcia. And that's Christine ben Taylor. She's fantastic. Wife, right, Ben Stiller's wife. That's Ben Stiller's wife. Yeah, still to yeah. this day. I believe so. Yeah, she's great, and so. she's great in dodge. But they're great in dodgeball too. She's yeah, really good. That. She's so. I just like yeah, to she, point out that I said that I had a crush on Ruben, and we just we just jumped right. I over didn't that. hear you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear you, Jason's. Okay, wait. Boy, you I had want, a crush on who now? Ruben, Ruben. Kincaid. Ruben Kincaid. Oh, I was trying to. I, I had a. It was a big thing. I was trying to. You know, suppress, express something to you guys, oh. and uh, we just rolled no. it right over. So forget <laughs> it. Let's just move on. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Mr. Kincaid, I've got to talk to you. I thought I told you never to call me here. Where? In bed. I think you better get on a plane and fly out here right away. It's not something we can discuss over the phone. Look, kid, would you put your mother on? No one in the family knows about this yet. That's why I've got to talk to you, to plan how to break it to them. Your voice hasn't started to change or anything. No, nothing like that. Mr. Kincaid, please come out. There's no one else I can talk to. No, I'm kidding. I was joking. I was joking. Um, yeah, but, I just uh, like saying that name, Ruben Kincaid. The woman who plays Alice is amazing because so she, good. literally you can't, if you watch footage of Alice and listen, like the voice is exact. The delivery is exact. I mean, she mm. is basically a carbon copy of Ann B. Davis. She is really, really fantastic. And like I love her. this fucking weird moment in this movie. Where she does the Joaquin Phoenix Joker thing and she just climbs into the refrigerator and closes the door behind her. <laughs> yeah, then she comes out and she's fine. 
I was like, I wonder if that if uh, that moment in Joker is an homage to a very Brady sequel. I wouldn't put it past Joaquin. <laughs> it would it would make that moment mean something. You wouldn't believe how much I dig her. Sure, I would. I've been digging Sam so long. By the time he proposes, I'll be six feet under. <laughs> Now, Shirley Jones or Florence Henderson? Oh, oh Shirley, Shirley Jones. Jones. <laughs> Shirley Jones? Shirley Jones. Would you say away. she's the one? <gasps> I know we got a segue. When it's time to change <laughs> to, to the next Edward Burns' range. Guys, she's the one. From the director of The Brothers McMullen. You're never going to make any real money. Look at you. You make a pile of dough and you're miserable. Hey, I'm not miserable, okay? I'm dissatisfied. That's what makes me a success. Comes a comedy about two brothers. What the hell are you doing? I got married. So you had a full 24 hours to get to know each other there. <laughs> I thought they might have rushed into this. Their relationships with women. It's actually very romantic. I think we have a problem with our sex life. What kind of language is that? We're on a public street here. And one very awkward situation. Excuse me? She's the one. Edward Burns' second feature film sees him cast as Mickey Fitzpatrick, a New York City cab driver who marries one of his passengers, played by Burns' real-life girlfriend at the time, Maxine Bonds, after driving her to New Orleans on a romantic whim. Mickey's brother, Francis, played by Mike McLone, is a Wall Street trader with a beautiful wife, Renee, played by Jennifer Aniston, and a mistress who just happens to be his big brother's ex-fiancée, played by Cameron Diaz. Also featuring Leslie Mann and Amanda Peet, she's the one answers the burning question, how many movies does it take for a young male director to cast every woman he wants to sleep with in Hollywood? She's the one earned only $2 million over its opening weekend, en route to a total box office take of just $9.5 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of She's the One? Well, here's the thing. It, it, it was Brothers McMullen, but with a little more money. That's what it seemed like. <laughs> and I wasn't crazy about the Brothers McMullen. You know, to me, I saw Brothers McMullen when it first came out. Actually, I feel like, Dan, you and I might have seen yeah, absolutely that Absolutely, we did. I was thinking about that today. Yeah. Because he was the you know, hot was new old- young indie. We were all into indie films then. We were seeing yeah. everything that came out that was indie. And we had heard and- this buzz about, oh, this new, he's the new thing. But why? Yeah, and why it, is he it, the it new just, thing? It's he just, was at the It's like time. they just hand it. No, I know. But why? like him, Kevin Smith, who I enjoy when he's podcasting and other things. But I mean, it was like if you're just like a white guy in the 90s who, you know, uh, learned how to use a camera, you just got money from Miramax or whoever else to make movies. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I had no use for this movie at all. I was like, it's poorly written. It's like, it's like, how do you guys know each other? Well, Wall Street. Everybody knows each other on Wall Street. I mean, it's written like. Uh, oh, don't even start on the writing. You got to give him credit because you know when you know his story. Look, he made a fucking movie. He was like, I'm going to do this. He was a yeah. PA on Entertainment Weekly. Um, and, and sorry, Entertainment Tonight. And he made this movie on on weekends over like seven or eight years or something, something crazy. <laughs> and. He, he got it done. He did it, you know, and he had the mm-hmm. fucking moxie to go up to apparently the story is 
he, like I said, he was a PA and Robert Redford was being interviewed for something, I think for quiz show on the show. And he stopped Robert Redford and he's like, Hey, will you read my script or watch my movie or something? And Redford saw it. And next thing you know, you know, it's winning Sundance. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to, I'll give it to him for that. And I, I, I respect him for doing that. He wanted to make something and he created it and he just did it. Cause so many of us just sit on our asses and don't do shit. Um, until our friends like, Hey, you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, all right, I'll do a podcast. <laughs> and then I get in my closet and I sweat my balls off cause there's no air conditioning. I'll do the podcast. <laughs> Um, but so he did it. It needed to be said. Yeah. But, you know, I remember watching it at the time and just thinking, you know, I did student films that I feel like were, were better than this, but I will say he did, whether you like it or not, he does have a unique voice and maybe like, maybe to say now, you know, the white Irish Catholic male voice, you know, now to say that it's like, that's ridiculous because we don't need more of that. But I think at the time hmm. it was a different, it was this, it was like a different version of Woody Allen. It was the Irish Catholic Woody Allen type thing. We're, you're from Long Island, Jason. I mean, you know that guy. How many Ed Burns types have you seen throughout uh. your life? I mean, I recognize that guy. I'm not saying he's an interesting guy, those <laughs> characters, but I, I just feel that. like I, he's such a cipher to me. He's such a like blank slate. The, the, you know who I've seen a lot of is the other guy, that Mike McClone. Oh, Don't like the other guy. God. Hate the other guy, but I've seen a lot oh, of really? him online. Oh, cannot stand. I mean, the it's the character more than the uh, than the actor is, and which is he's supposed to be unlikable. You I can't think, give but. a character that loathsome with no no. There's no, no redeeming qualities, not one. You can't give a character that loathsome that much screen time. Fuck you. <laughs> I Fuck agree this with movie. You, Dan. Fuck that yes. guy. Fuck it all. You know, I, I wanted to <laughs> to destroy my television and never see him again. He's fine in the Geico commercials. Other than that, I'm done with this guy. I'm not gonna deal with it because you're my wife. We have sex like normal people in a bed lying down. We don't run to bathrooms and masturbate like animals when he friggin' vibrates. I liked him in Brothers McMullen. I thought he was the best part of that movie. I don't really remember um, him in that, honestly. I, and I, enjoy, I don't know if I, I want to say I enjoyed him in this because he was oh, basically Fred. just playing a, a more loathsome version of the character in Brothers McMullen. Like I said, this was just a repeat of Brothers McMullen pretty much. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, different plot points fault, here and there. Fuck you, Ed Burns, for giving him that much screen time. And he never redeems himself. He Ever. never. I kept thinking, I thought the same thing, Dan. I was like, there's got to be something. There's got to be some twist at the end where he. Nope. Where, where he changes somehow or, or you know, kind of evolves a little bit. I Yeah, I, I really couldn't stand him either. He's a loathsome Neanderthal. And, and again, and Ed Burns is like kind of a cipher. Yeah, I mean- this To me, it's uh, his girlfriend is is off. She, I thought she was dreadful in Brothers McMullen. She was dreadful in this. Um, she's not an actor. She, she can't. You know, Jennifer Aniston should have played that role. She was wasted. Dude, why did you marry this girl after you drove her- On the 26-hour ride to New Orleans- it doesn't come up that she's gotten <laughs> into it. the Sorbonne. <laughs> yeah, I thought about Go that as well. Fuck yourself. I'm you, it's All like of it's you. such it's a first draft of a script. Ed Burns does not know what the Sorbonne is. He doesn't know. He just put that in there because it sounded fancy. Yeah. I hated it. He had this a joke movie. later about, oh, you got sore buns uh, from being a homosexual. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a, a lot of. A there lot was of so much gay panic pe- yeah. in this movie. Everybody's, <laughs> oh. It's like every time a man deigns to show a bit of uh, sensitivity, or it's like, hey, Danielle, hey, Francine, yeah. hey, 
Hey, tits. Which, I mean, which again, you know what? It's, I, oh, I don't, I mean, look, I'm not condoning that, but no, I know, I I'm know. saying these, I, I know, I've seen these people, I've seen families like that and they exist. And I'm, and we've, I don't know if we've discussed this, but I don't necessarily need to see a character change completely by the end. There's something in a way, there's a weird, there's something very interesting and seeing a character start one way and not because that's what happens in real life. Sometimes I'm not saying now there are more, there are interesting, more interesting ways to do that. Then you give him three (laughs) scenes where we go, Ooh, that's the loathsome guy. Okay. I got it. Sure. Don't make the movie half about him. I mean, he didn't change in any way, except the fact that what he thought was going to happen to him, that he was going to end up with Cameron Diaz did not happen. So, so his fortunes changed his life, you know, that thing he thought he was aiming for that didn't happen, but I, you don't see any, I don't know. I, and he does have a lot of screen time. There, I think I, if I remember there was more of an arc for him in, in McMullen, cause he ends up with, um, the girl, my friend, uh, that my friend Sherry Albert plays at the end of that. Um, but it, yeah, I agree. I, I, with, with everything that you're saying, I mean, I, I, I will say, I find Mike McGlone, what he did in these two movies, interesting. It's different. It's something I haven't seen before because he's so, it's like this weird Jason Alexander meets Alec Baldwin thing. And he's really good at playing that neuroses, but. This movie thinks that it is about toxic maleness, right? Toxic masculinity. That's what this movie it thinks it's about it's it's it. I don't know if that's what it thinks it's about. Oh, I, I think that's I what it is about. Maybe I think it happens to well, be about but, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but no, but look at the Burns character's arc. You know what I mean? I mean, and and the fact that he is, he his main character trait is passive aggression. Oh, it's a nice. Yeah, it's nice that you're wearing nothing to go to work. Oh, you're gonna. Oh, mm-hmm. you didn't. You didn't think you would. You didn't think you'd tell me that. Oh, that, you know. I mean, it's all passive aggression because that's the mm-hmm. only thing he knows how to do. Because mm-hmm. the other character, because the brother is aggressive, and the father um, is, in a way, has taught the, them how to be who they are by saying things like "Oh, Danielle, Francine," things like that, like you said. So, th- and that's why you never see the mother, right? So this, which is, is so strange, but that's why he's doing choice. that. That's why that's on purpose, I think, is because if it you have a female weird. presence, then it can't be about this, and so he's resisting that. Right. I don't agree with it. Believe me, this is not a well-constructed movie. This is this yeah. is like, let's, you know, th- this is a pancake without the cardamom. There's nothing interesting. <laughs> this is just, it just sits there. There's no subtlety. There's no flavor. There's no nothing. Um, yeah. But it, he thinks he's making a movie about toxic maleness before we even had that phrase, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you break that? cycle right how do you break the cycle because it toxifies everyone else it's why the Cameron Diaz character is toxified it's why the Jennifer Aniston character is toxified you know what I mean and they and they're they're caught up in this web of you know why anyone would spend more than five minutes with the Mike McGlone character I don't know never mind marry them or sleep with them but that's neither here nor there but that's what I think Ed Burns thinks he's doing here so you so at the end of the movie what does he fucking do he has her stay in America instead of going to fulfill her lifelong dream in France. He has given up on her at the end of this movie. He's basically going, oh, I got, you know, tell her I miss her, I guess. I'll go back to my dad's boat and go back to who I was at the beginning of the movie and not really try or care. And she stays because there's an you know, off-camera conversation that we don't hear or see between John Mah- Mahoney and her where I guess John Mahoney convinces her to stay because he calls her on the phone at the bar. Remember? Oh, it's your father-in-law. Yeah. 
you know. But I was confused by that because I had the same thought, Dan, for a second. I thought, oh, is she staying? Is she not going? But it's again, poor writing. Insulting. It's insulting and misogynistic that she stays. She should. She doesn't stay. But I don't think she does. My impression is she doesn't stay. What? He says, he says, you're not going to go alone to Paris. And she says, no, that doesn't mean she's not going to Paris. It means she's not going without him. I thought she was still going to Paris at the end. No, That's no, the I think she I has her flight booked to Paris and she stays in America for him. You the, didn't the flight's get, the next day. It's not that day. She's okay. not supposed to be on the plane. So, there, it's so, the next so you day. got so in the I end of this movie, like, the next day they're going to go to Paris together. I, that's what I, yes, I did, but I, but it was so hard right, to well, that's understand, Dan. That's a little but bit But I don't better. know for sure if that's what happened because oh. that's kind of maybe what I hoped because that is what I hoped was going to happen. Fuck this movie. Well, you know, because he says he's going to go. Here's the thing. Ed <laughs> Burns does movie. say, I think they're going to Paris because Ed Burns tells his father, guess what? I can't go fishing today. I got to get ready to go to Paris tomorrow. I'm going to do it. He's made the decision to go with her. He says that there in the kitchen. He says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to actually go fishing. I'll help you load up the boat, but I'm not going to go fishing. I'm going to Paris with her. Ed Burns makes the decision. And then the father's I like, well, come on out and help me load the boat. I completely missed that. That's how infuriated no. and my uh, bleeding from my eyes enraged I was at this movie. But you know what? I, I agree with you, Dan. I completely missed that. Okay. You're because right, the way right, it's fine. made, no, but the way it's filmed, it's not good. The way it's filmed, it feels exactly like what you said. Like you have to really listen to get the two little clues that suggest that maybe he, she's still going to go to Paris and he's going to go with her because it's really embedded in there because everything about how it's filmed, how it's framed, how it feels, feels like she's stayed there and now they're going to go out on that fishing boat and she's just part of the family now. You're absolutely right. And for a split second, I thought that's what was happening too. Wow. But I actually uh, think uh, she's going to go to Paris and that he's going to go with her. He's just a bad writer. Was, the dialogue was terrible. was one of the most noticeably bad screenplays. Like, I was like, God, every phrase that comes out of every mouth is so like cliched or repetitive. I mean, oh. there's so many repetitive jokes and comments and it's like, how many times are you going to use that same phrase? How many every times conversation in this movie is, it, it, how are you? How, how am I? Yeah, I'm asking you how you are. Oh, you're asking me how I am. Yes, I'm asking you how you are. I'm fine. Oh, well, you're fine well, now. Oh, it's, fine. It's first okay, draft. Mr. Fine. Like they just repeat everything the other person says. It's maddening. This I is just, first draft theater. That's what it is. <laughs> if, he, if he got hired to adapt the right stuff, every, every page would be like, hi, spaceman. Are you a spaceman? Well, in the spaceman program, we learn how to be spacemen. How you doing? I don't know. How you doing? I don't know, are you going to space today? Yeah, say it in a higher register. <laughs> He's got a really high voice. Oh, you going to space today? Yeah, you, really, you really got the right me. stuff here. Oh, I got the right <laughs> stuff? No, I think you got the wrong stuff. Oh, now I'm the wrong stuff. Oh, well, Mr. Right Stuff, are you going to have the right stuff or the wrong stuff? I think I got the right stuff. Well, I don't think you have that, Francine. Are you calling me Francine? I'm John Glenn. Fuck this movie. Fuck him. <laughs> this was 90 minutes that felt like 900 minutes. I was checking the time. Every, I just kept pausing the movie every couple of minutes. I was like, how much longer? How much longer? I've never, it, Fuck. it was interminable. Here is the, the worst and best thing I can say. And this will warm my heart to say this the second it comes off of my lips. And this will take us, this will, this will take us, take us back to earth. Disorderlies was better. Than this piece of dog shit. 
I enjoyed Disorderlies, which is by far the worst thing we've seen and by far the worst thing I've ever seen. I enjoyed Disorderlies more than She's the One. I don't know if I would go that far. Even I can't go but that far. If, if it makes, if it, if it brings you peace, Dan, that's what I'm saying. It brings me peace enraged. to say that. It it warms my heart and brings me peace to say that. It's meditative for me to say that. Say it again. Say it nice and slow. We'll put some nice. Um, yeah, give me a little. Give me a little uh, new agey. Disorderlies, starring the Fat Boys, is a better movie. And she's the one by Ed Burns. That felt really good. That felt really good. That was a moment of self-care for me. Thank you. I needed that. (laughs) We need to, we all need to take that time. We do. We do. During this time. (gasps) Some other folks who are taking some time are our own (laughs) monster squad running around the country (laughs) after the B-mobile. They're doing time. They, oh they, they really are. Um, let's review now. Oh boy, I, I need like I, I need a PowerPoint chart or something. I can't I keep track. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot need going one on. Of those things they have in like uh, Homeland, from just like you know, like, like push pins <laughs> and push pins and the threads, string, like yeah, just kind of, yeah, yeah. and the flow chart of this whole thing. No, it's very, it's very. I'm confused by it. Most of the letters in the mail sack are say are things like, I don't understand what's happening now. Can anyone explain this to me? I'm sorry, <laughs> fo- listeners, I can't explain it. I don't know. All I know is that, as according to what's going on last week, the warden, Jacob Joseph, Tote, Jack Nicholson, Geppetto. And Al Pacino are running around the country after the B-Mobile to try to bring in <laughs> Sheila and Adam, who is posed, may still be posing as Jacob <laughs> Joseph, at least in the presence of Sheila. And the crazy thing, yeah, he does like a, apparently does like a Jacob Joseph impression when he's with Sheila. It's very weird. He's 200. It's a mad, mad. He's 200 pounds less than her. Than than his brother. His- this is like th- this is the cannonball run of the aughts. It's, it's the wacky races. Oh my god! Yeah. It's a mad, 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 mad fucking world. Mad world. It's more mad than I was at She's the One. Let's put it that way. Wow. This is it's it's about as insane as everything that happens in Island of Doctor Moreau. Well, this is the thing. I'm very worried. I'm worried about a lot of things, but I'm very worried about these. These, uh, these, you know, there's so much happening. You got the pandemic, you have, uh, you know, the election. There's so the much election. to worry about. There's everything. There's the- I hope Toad is wearing a mask. Well, I, you know, I don't think he cares who he infects, but I hope he is <laughs> wearing a mask. Um, you have the murder hornets in the Pacific Northwest that are coming in from Canada. These murder- That's nothing. These, That's fine. These are four or five inch hornets. They're coming in. There's so much to worry about. The mail sack is filled with all these things. <laughs> all these letters of confusion, but it's also got a lot of postcards in it this week. It's a bunch of postcards from our friends who are crisscrossing the country. So let me just, let me just uh, thumb through these postcards for a second. Okay. There's a whole bunch of them here. Um, They're they're calling themselves this group of, of one, two, three, four, five, six. They're calling themselves not the monster squad, they're calling themselves the Arthropod Squad. <laughs> the Arthropod Squad, ladies and gentlemen. I get, is it B an Arthropod? Who knows? 
someone must know. Um, okay, the first postcard here is, uh, well, it's a picture of a deer on the front of the postcard. You guys can see that here. <laughs> Lovely deer. Oh, that's cute. On the back. Oh, it's from the warden. It says, uh, greetings from Sweetwater, Alabama. Wish you were deer. See what he's done there. He said, wish you were deer. Very sweet. That's very Very sweet. Oh, here's another one. Here's another. It's a a picture of a beer, of a glass of beer. Uh, It's from Tote. It says, hello from Sheboygan. He's German. Hello from Sheboygan Falls. Wish you were beer. He's German. He loves beer. Uh They love beer up in Wisconsin. He is nefarious. He's really nefarious, that one. He's very clever. Uh, oh, there's a picture of this can't be right. This is a picture of Mount Etna. <laughs> the picture of Mount Etna, which is in Sicily. Uh huh. Let me flip it over here. Oh, it's from Al. It's from Pacino. It says, Hi from Sicily. Wish you were gondolier. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that would be Venice. Are there gondolas right? in Sicily? He's playing a trick on us, I think. He's just messing That can't around. be right. <laughs> he's, he's drunk. Uh, there's what he probably is. There's one from Jack Nicholson here. It says hi from yeah, Sioux yeah. City, Iowa. Wish you were her. <laughs> oh, there's a picture of Angelica Houston on the front. That's why. <laughs> That's why he said that. <laughs> very strange. Very strange. Okay, now there's the one last postcard here. I don't. Okay. This doesn't seem to be from our group. This does not. No, no. This is, uh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This is from San Juan Island, Washington State. Okay. For all your surgical needs, come to the island of Dr. Merlot. (laughs) Trusted tipsy treatment. Hmm. Wow. It's like an ad for a doctor, Dr. Doctor Merlot. Dr. Merlot. Let me flip this over. Wait. Oh, my God. Who is it from? It's from this Dr. Merlot. Successful murder hornet human hybridization complete. <laughs> this Sheila can sting. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, this no. is terrifying. Oh no. oh, no. What have they done to your beloved Sheila? Uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's nervous laughter when a horrible thing happens sometimes. What? So Sheila has been... This doctor, Merlot, has merged the DNA of Sheila and a murder hornet? A drunk doctor on his island off the coast of Washington State has hybridized our Sheila with a murder hornet. How did he get Sheila? And where's Adam? Can you still make pancakes if you're half (laughs) murder hornet? Do you have... I'm well, not you have sure access to honey, so you'd have the topping. You would. If that, you weren't, if you were out nice. of maple syrup. It really sounds More delicious. importantly, can can a half human, half murder hornet still listen and subscribe to podcasts? <laughs> can, yeah. I, because again, little, I'm I'm interested. I'm in. Uh, what are you know, I don't want to lose a fan. Feelers. That's oh, yeah. really the important question here. Sheila, if you can hear us. <laughs> if you're still able, can be, can hornets hear? I, they must be able to. I think so. Well, maybe, well, wait, maybe they can. If I tell the her ear, like this, the ear holes. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Subscribe to Spotify, iTunes. 
I didn't know you spoke Hornet. I tried. Oh, that's I my just want to point. I just want to point out that in one episode, you not only used the word foot meat several times, you also just did a monologue in Hornet ease. Folks, you can't get this shit anywhere else but opening weekend podcast. This is oh the only God. place you can get this. Foot meat and hornet ease. If this mm. isn't worth five stars, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, certainly not the island of Dr. Moreau. I'd like to present my children. Father? Oh, my God. From director John Frankenheimer. H.G. Wells' most terrifying creation. About the line that separates man from beast. What's going on? And the notorious doctor who dared to cross it. Marlon Brando. Val Kilmer. David Thewlis. The Island of Dr. Moreau. Andrew Braddock played by David Thewlis, is a plane crash survivor saved from a watery death by sullen wise-ass Montgomery, played by sullen wise-ass Val Kilmer, who takes him to a remote island owned by a crazed scientist, played by Marlon Brando, a crazed actor who also owns remote islands. Braddock soon learns that this Nobel Prize-winning geneticist is carrying out sinister experiments on the island's inhabitants. Based on the H.G. Wells classic, The Island of Dr. Moreau boasted a production that was in itself a horror story. Original director Richard Stanley was fired after three days, but snuck back onto the set wearing one of Stan Winston's creature costumes. <laughs> Under the direction of Stanley's replacement, John Frankenheimer, the production was plagued with difficulties, including the erratic behavior of both its leading men. Moreau was ultimately a critical and commercial failure, earning only $9 million in its opening frame, with a domestic take of $27.6 million and a worldwide total of only $49.6 million. Fred and Dan, oh, <laughs> what'd you guys think of the island of Dr. Merlot? No, Moreau. That's, that's the Mad Magazine parody, Island of Dr. Merlot. Uh, I mean, where do you even I don't know where to begin. Begin. You, be, you begin where you movie, end and end where you begin again. I mean, this movie, I mean, it's got such a, I feel like it's got a real special place in all of our hearts. Just because we, like I said in the beginning, we all saw it, you know, that opening weekend, I think, mm -hmm. and we all saw it the same day. And I feel like it's something that brought us closer together. Yes. <laughs> like, I feel like I love you guys oh. more because we got off the island of Dr. Moreau <laughs> alive. Like, we shared this traumatic, <laughs> crazy fucking experience together. And I still remember, Dan... You know, like I said, we went, it was, I, I remember the theaters on the Upper East Side, it was on 86th Street or 87th Street, wherever that yeah, theater yeah. is. And we went in 86. the middle of the day. And I just remember the two of us walking out of that theater into the sunlight <laughs> in the heat of August. And it was almost like we walked out of like a weird snuff film. We felt <laughs> dirty. Something yeah. was, something was wrong. Oh. But we went, you know, I think, I feel like we went because, it was Brando mm -hmm. yes. and you know, that was it. We That's were, right, you know, right. we were living in the city. We were 
just starting our careers as working yeah, actors. We were young actors. We idolized Brando and all the sort of Brandos of the that came after Brando, like Pacino and De Niro and everybody. We idolized yeah. him. He was the, he so was the like king. You, you had to go. And oh. it's, 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 I've used this term before with movies, but it's just, it's bat shit. <laughs> crazy and he's but it's so much well i'll say this up until brando spoiler when he dies it's 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 fun because it's so fucking crazy and you just like what the hell is brando doing what is Mm -hmm. val kilmer doing i remember thinking of this at the time david thewlis who i love and i had known i'd seen him in a movie called naked that he did with Mike Lee before yeah, this. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, I was like, oh, it's that dude. It's like a really weird, no, he's great. interesting actor, you know? And this was his first big American movie, if I remember. Yeah. And to me, and we said it when we saw it, he is us as audience members. That <laughs> moment when he's like, look at these people. Look at him. He's the audience. He's us watching this movie going, what the fuck <laughs> is happening? Look at these people. What happened to the greatest actor of all time? What (laughs) what is going on? And he and rewatching it again, he he does. David Thewlis does a wonderful job. He really does. His his reactions. He literally looks like he's on the verge of vomiting and fainting the entire movie. And you buy it. This movie is about madness. And and I will say that you feel it, man. Now that being said, it's a Horrible piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's just a mess. It's it's noisy and ugly. And it's <laughs> it's just real bad. It's but real at least bad. at least you know with it's Brando. It's interesting when Brando's there. As soon yeah. when Brando's dead, the movie's uh, over. Essentially, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like you could turn it off. When he dies, the first thing I thought of, I said, "There's no way that hammock is fucking still hanging." <laughs> Because Brando weighs 9,000 pounds oh and he falls on the hammock and those hyenas are pouncing. I'm like, no, no, that thing would have broke. He would have fallen through the wood floor. I understand that I must be shocking to you. What's also great, now, and you turned me on to this, Fred, is Ron Perlman on the Mark Marin podcast yes, talking the, about being on set for this I fucking movie. I love that. So great. The greatest story about Marlon oh Brando God, ever. If you, I don't, I don't want to lose listeners, but if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, stop what you're doing. <laughs> go find the Ron Perlman episode of Mark Marin and just fast forward and listen to his his whole story about working Brando. on that movie, Brando. Oh. I, I'd read somewhere that Brando, you know, would always want to meet with directors and he could tell mm-hmm. right off the mm-hmm. bat if a director was full of shit or yeah. not. Mm-hmm. And he knew, and he would say, he said that if within like a couple of minutes, he would know. And if he didn't trust the director, he would go, okay, I'm going to fuck with them. I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> and I got the feeling that, you know, obviously that's what he did, that he just showed up and he pulled an apocalypse now and he's like, no, I'm going to wear moonbows and I want to wear the ice bucket. Now, the weird thing is, all these weird fucking choices he makes, they actually do make sense in the context of everything, but it's just, it's it's Brando just fucking with Frankenheimer and being like, fuck you, I want to buy another island. So, no, I want to, like you said, like I want a little midget guy and I want a fucking ice bucket. Feruza. I mean, it's just, it's. It's, 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 it is true madness. But yeah, he does that with directors all the time. He like, you know, there's the famous story of, uh, and eventually when we talk about the original Superman, we'll talk about, I'm sure Brando in that is right. But he like, 
he tries to see what he can get away with. He tries to see right. what he can get away with. And when he when he met with Richard Donner about Superman, like he signed on to do it, but he was like, I think uh, I think I should be. Um, he had two things. He was like, I think I should be played by a bagel. I think I should do the voice, and it should be a green bagel. And and, and Richard Donner's just like, interesting. That's interesting. And he says, or maybe a suitcase or something. Just a suitcase, a green suitcase. And the voice can come out because nobody knows what we're aliens. Nobody knows what we look oh like. My God. And Richard Donner had to be like, that's a great point. But there are comic books with your character and kids have seen this character. So it'll be better if it's a human being. And, and that's a great like, point. But like, you're fucking insane. He's like, fair enough. Fair enough. And then he said he was a lovely guy. To work. He was like, he tested me. And I was like, mm-hmm, I hear you. We're not going to do it that way. No. And then he said yeah, he was obviously. lovely to work with. But I think he did. He just he's just. You know, he held, uh, the, he held that Brando held the entire production yeah. hostage. And Kilmer. Well, that's what he does. And Kilmer, even more than Brando, is what How I How can you have that many crew, that many people in head to toe, Stan Winston, God knows what they're wearing, in the hot sun, and you're just going to sit there in your trailer or your air conditioning or wherever you are and go, yeah, I might I might come to set today in about four to six hours. You I know, know I, I mean, it's just, I can't watch the movie and not, Think about those poor actors and crew. You know, it's Stan Winston. It's not some schmuck. You know, they're yeah. wor- these people are working their tails off, and yeah. it's just it's oh, just, no pun intended. Well, well, yeah. But according 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 to Ron Perlman, he said that Brando he, he says that he's like Frank and I, you're a Nazi. Give these people some cokes. He he, Perlman right. says that Brando was like really looking out for the extras, and then Frankenheimer's like, oh, I I I I'm sorry, Marlon, I am not a Nazi. Right? He says, listen, I I did the Wild Ones. No, what was the movie that he did where he played? Um, oh God, he did a movie where he played. I think he played a German fighter pilot. Am I am I making that up, Brando? Uh, this rings a bell. I don't know that. I've he's seen like, that you know, I, he's like, listen, Frankenheimer. I know Nazis and you're a fucking Nazi. <laughs> According to Perlman. But uh, I don't know. But yeah, I mean. That's what happens when you hire Casanova Frankenheimer to direct your show. <laughs> now listen. It is. You know, I did enjoy the movie though. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I it, it does fall way off the cliff once Brando is dead. Brando's character is dead. Yeah. But it's so batshit. You can't take your eyes off of it. Agreed. Thewlis is nailing it in every scene. I don't understand. I don't understand the Val Kilmer character. I don't understand why he's there. I don't understand what his purpose is in the script. What is his function? I don't get it. It's just to confuse things. I don't understand it. And also, I think, I think he probably that had he, more of a function. I guess I think, so. Maybe I think in the that original, part was right? supposed to be a much smaller part. He Kilmer was cast in the David Thewlis part, and then he decided he didn't want to work so much. He said, <laughs> oh, "I don't want to right. be on set That's that many days." Right. So then they offered oh, the God. the the part that Kilmer vacated rob morrow was cast and rob morrow was on it for a while and then he was like begged his agent to get him off of it right after the first couple of days because it was a clusterfuck when they were filming and then they got david thewlis very last minute and he does and he gives the the best performance and he gets third billing which is a a dubious honor um but yeah so then and kilmer said well i want to play this other part and uh and i think that i read something that said it kind of wound up pulling the movie out of shape and out of balance because that part wasn't as significant as it needed to then become if you were going to put Val Kilmer in it. You know what I mean? It's like it. I, you're I kind guess of like so. Yeah. Exp- you've got Moreau and you've got the the, the David Thewlis character, right. Braddock, and that's really the heart of it. And then that Montgomery guy, it's it, it just you wind up putting a big movie star in that kind of 
tertiary role in it. I don't right. know. It, the balance of it was off. And and Kilmer, he looks like he's out to lunch throughout. He seems like he's on. I think he's playing that the character is drugging himself and self-medicating so yeah. much that, you know, but everything is just kind of played at this. He's doing Jim Morrison again. That's this all he's meandery, doing. meandery. Yeah. Yeah. This I think he probably got to a point where he realized that he made a mistake <laughs> and he's like, well, let me just. You know, kill some time until I get to do my Brando impersonation, which is which is pretty it's lovely. Pretty good. It's, it's pretty wonderful. It's lovely, but it's also but it's also it's bad in that it's, uh, because it's not an imp- it's not an impression of Marlon Brando in this movie. It's an impression of iconic Marlon Brando. It doesn't sound like. Oh, that's a Mar- very good point. Brando is doing a more cultivated thing. He's got the his oh, voice is right. different with the teeth. He's doing the Queen of England. So he's doing. He's doing, yeah. yes, he's not doing Brando in this movie. He's doing what he wants to do, which is I get to like make fun of Brando. I give all my gifts to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be born and have my child, I'm nothing. People do this a lot with like Nicholson and stuff where they're like, there's Greg yeah. Kinnear in As Good As It Gets, who's wonderful in As Good As yeah. It Gets. He does, whenever he can, he does a... He does his Jack Nicholson impression in a to a degree that is not really even how Jack is played. Like it, it's, it's more than it's the what it's the impression you do of a movie star, not the impression you do of your neighbor, your 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 homophobe neighbor. <laughs> then you tell me why you're the one who's dying here. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. Like, yeah, no, you're right. Playing, you're absolutely right. I didn't think about like, that. That this guy is is so famous that you'll know his voice when I when I do it, and and it's it's a little weird. I remember thinking I was like, yeah, Kilmer, you do a good Brando, but it's not. You should have tweaked it for right. to be an impression of this character, but he wasn't interested in that. John Frankenheimer had a quote about him saying, he said. If the film I was doing was called The Val Kilmer Story, I wouldn't work with that son of a bitch. Oh he's like, God. Wow. Yeah, he said he was incredibly difficult. But then again, he's a Nazi. I think they were all lovely people <laughs> just doing the best they could. There was a big, big, big interview with Val Kilmer a couple of months ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Yeah, in the New York, in the New York Times. Times. Yeah, mag- it's either That's the weekend one. or magazine section. It's really great. And it's kind of the first time I've ever really seen Val Kilmer's humanity, vulnerability. Yeah. Like you, you mm. kind of see a little bit what makes him tick. It's a really interesting article. It was very surprising. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Think, that, was, that was a good I read. I think Feruza Balk, who, if I'm remembering right from the documentary, also had a miserable time on this. Um, I think everybody did. She, I thought she oh, was excellent. She, she, yeah, she did. Uh, <laughs> she's pouring ice into oh. the bucket on his head. Oh, All I had was images of... B. Arthur pouring the drink into Harvey Corman's <laughs> head on the Star, Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> Just one more round, friend. Then homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. It's like Marlon Brando has a, like this is a cylinder on his head, and he's like, um, put more ice into my head, please. Oh, and she's God. doing it. And I was like, fire is a bulk. You want Dan Mini Me? Use your words like a big boy clone. You forget that Mini Me from yes, Austin the Austin Powers. Powers movies is based, based off of directly this off of this. And a much know, more famous character, like based off of this like oddity. Yeah. And South yeah. Park did a whole arc with with this. Yes, they, they did an yeah, long-standing right. spoof with this. I mean, there's I mean, Hollywood must have seen this thing and went oh, we have to do shit with this. You know what I mean? Because you see all these other manifestations of that show up in other works of art. It's very, and it's other spoofs, obviously. It's, uh, and I loved all of that because that's what we were doing. We were sitting there watching this movie and basically mystery science theatering it while we were watching it. Remember, Fred? 
But it's yeah. But it's also yeah. And so were Pete and I. I remember. I've literally to this day. I've never laughed harder <laughs> yeah. than than David Thewlis pointing at that guy and saying, "Look at him! Look at him!" And then the smash cut to yes. an extreme close up of that dude, that little dude, and he's just looking and he's like so deadpan. And then it cuts back. I mean, it's filmed comedically in some instances. Yeah. The scene, which is where it's so tailor made for Austin Powers, the scene that must have given Mike Myers the idea to do what he did in Austin Powers. When they start, it's even the sweep of the camera when you see Brando at the piano and yes. the camera's oh panning around. And then it pans up and there's the little guy, the little dressed in the exact same clothes at a tiny <laughs> piano on top. And then the camera's spinning around. It's like, it's shot they, in a comedic and, fashion. Yes. It's like it Brando's it's chuckle at the end after they finish playing. It's like, oh, they yes, hug each other. A little hugging kiss. God. It's like, but I mean, but it is amazing in a way. It's a terrible movie, and and it's and it's batshit crazy, like you say. But that is an image that sears itself into your <laughs> yeah. brain. Yeah, you can't. And it doesn't, and it's not because of the horror. It's not like there's all these creatures running around. I didn't remember any of them. No. You know what I mean? Like from earlier viewings of this, I don't remember what the effects looked like, what the makeup looks like, but I do remember, I don't even remember the tiny guy's uh, makeup necessarily. I just remember Brando in that crazy costume and then a smaller version of him in a crazy mm -hmm. costume playing pianos on top of each other. That is just a crazy image and a crazy idea. And as bonkers as it is, it comes from a, a brilliant mind. I mean, it is... It, it, it's iconic now yeah. in some way as a it's a cult movie but it's yeah. it's it's an iconic kind of image that like pairing and now is that i can't remember if they oh, mentioned this in the thing. documentary but i have to imagine that it was brando's idea to have that little guy with him i think so they got I friendly they, on I set think i think yeah yeah they really and i think, was fascinated I think that's how him. he got inserted into as much of the right. film as he's in because i think brando took a shine to him so i think it was Did brando built eat out him? at the end of shooting <laughs> ah, because... you look delicious you really do <laughs> you did you did wonderful work and now you'll serve the greatest purpose of all lunch <laughs> oh, my... i swallowed a bug oh no it was my co-star <laughs> Oh, well, I can tell you very plainly. No, please don't do that. It's Nelson something. Nelson. Yes. Um, oh, God. Because I remember there was a, there's an Entertainment Weekly yes. magazine where he was featured in it, and there was a picture of him on both pages. Actual size. And it said, yeah. yeah. Right. Nelson um, De La Rosa. Wow. Nelson there De we La go. Rosa. Wow. God, he. God, amazing. He got to work with Brando. Yeah. When, when they first introduced away in Brando. in 2006. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. That's sad. Um, He's got some great little moments in it. I mean, he really does. Look at him. Job. And, you know, the, I, I have to say it was so funny rewatching it again. I was just thinking the makeup and the design, it's so, it's so grotesque. Yeah. Yes. And I remember, and I was writing, I was like, you know, doing my little notes. And when they first bring David Thewlis into the area where the sayer of the law, when Ron Perlman is, and you see just all these grotesque. Yeah. Oh awful creatures and i remember thinking i was I, I was writing down oh god it's almost like you could smell it and just as i mm. wrote that you see david thewlis covering, yeah, covering his yes. nose because it's and i was like wow like they 
the, I don't know if it was just the way he was playing yeah. it or, but it was just the design of it. It's just, it does. Oh, oh, it's yeah. putrid. There's something putrid about it. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. Yeah. Also him, it's, when it's he great. first goes into the lab area and they're, they're doing oh, a bird, like they're the, the one the female horse creature, woman? horse lady with the, is giving birth to God, some abomination. That's a, that's a really good scene. I thought like, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of very Quato ish what comes out of her. Open your mind. But I mean, it's <laughs> yes. it's still like horrifying. Ooh, th- th- that's where the movie really goes. That's the first time you see the creatures, right? And, yeah. and that's yeah. where the yeah. movie really you start to go, holy fuck, what the fuck is this movie? What are we watching? Well, what it goes is right this? into batshit crazy. Yes, that's territory. right. And then you're in batshit it, it, crazy it, it, land the rest of the time. For the rest of the movie. Because I thought up in those first 20 minutes. I was like, well, this is kind of intrigued. Thewlis is really good. Yeah. It's like yeah. there's there's um there's building up, there's building tension and and you're like, what is gonna happen? What is gonna happen? You're waiting, you're waiting for another shoe to drop, but then there's no more, it literally just jumps to madness yeah. and, and there's no more of a slow burn there's no eking it out or parceling it out in yeah. small doses it just goes right to here's a lab with all these fetuses and here's a horsewoman shitting this thing out and now we're like we're just in this world now and there's no turning back and i guess there might be something great about that but it felt like too jarring there's something about it that felt too jarring to me you know i was like it made it it was so horrific it became laughable real quick too quickly yeah. to me real quick uh, you yeah, know yeah. do you think mike mcglone's character was born in that lab because i have a feeling <laughs> that's where that evil was wrought <laughs> on the rewatch i enjoyed it as a whole more than i thought i was going to like i couldn't take my eyes off it i was interested in the what was going to happen to the thewless character it does fall off majorly after brando dies but i was still you know uh in it enough to be interested in what was going to happen to him. And I thought I was just going to be like completely checked out after that. And I, I, I wasn't. And what I love about him as an actor, too, he's just, there's something. He's always discovering. So, he's always discovering. Yeah. And his body language is so, yeah. it's so lithe and strange. There's something just so weird about mm-hmm. him. But like when he, he's not afraid to look completely vulnerable. Yeah, that's it. He just does, and and you do sort of wonder, well, what? The, how is this going to end? What the you fuck's going to happen? If he had no. died and at the end, I would have been like, okay, that, that's how we, that, that's how humanity, to, you know, uh, or <laughs> non-humanity solves this problem is by killing the human, you know. Uh, it it I felt like fine. that's how it should have ended. I oh, didn't yeah. understand how he was just like sauntering, like, okay, well, I've got my makeshift raft and I'm going. I found that very, I was like, I don't buy that. That he makes it? He's being allowed, yeah, that he's making it off the island. I thought that was weird. And I also didn't care for, I was like, oh boy, the like, they didn't know how to end it. So like, with his voiceover and it's like, yes, people are animals. And then just showing a bunch of mid nineties footage of like, you know, people arguing and fighting and riots and stuff. I I remember us thinking that when we saw the movie, Dan. I remember being like, really? This is just, just going to hit us over the head yeah, with that shit? Yeah. I know. I was like, you got to show me document. I was like, we get it. It's not a subtle point you've been making for two hours to begin right. with. Yeah. <laughs> that people are mean to each other. I found it not as fun as- Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I thought I might appreciate it more on a rewatch. And I, 
I don't know. I guess certain roller coasters you can go on more than once and you're like, it was just as fun the second time. But it's like once you've seen two girls, one cup, you know, you've seen it and that jolt has happened to you. And then and you see you, it Dan, again. You were like, the one who made you were the one who sent me that link. I'll never forgive you for we that. We may have to have another self-care moment because I'll say this. Two girls, no. one cup. Better than she's the one. <laughs> oh, that felt good. Well, because S- similar, similar plot points. Similar plot actually. points, better, more developed characters, and better dialogue. <laughs> and the cup gave a better and, performance and than Mike McGlone. <laughs> better, yeah, better screenwriting. Yeah. Um, everything about God it. Jennifer Anis- Aniston had more to do. <laughs> in t- oh, wait. <laughs> Oh, we were on a break you can't beat it for memorable movie the, the first time you see this oh, thing yeah. the first time this happens to you <laughs> yes is like two girls one cup you remember where you were you remember how you felt you remember what you were wearing you remember how you soiled it it's it's everything because it's visceral I, do, I remember driving back i remember watching the movie with pete and i remember how hard we laughed when thula said <laughs> i'll never forget how like we're crying doubled over in the theater and I remember, like, I remember oh. everything about the drive home when he dropped me off at my house and my, my mom's house. We were on Long Island and we saw it in Comac. And, and I remember the conversation we had yeah. and just, I, I just laughed. I, it was one of the most pleasurable nights with a friend that I can remember just like <laughs> bonding over the madness because it's also another, you know, a, a, a fellow actor who appreciates that, who loves Brando. Yeah. Oh, we all love Brando. Very big you know, that's Brando. the other thing too. I remember like watching it and thinking, and this is the same thing with Don Juan DeMarco and the freshman and a lot of like this <laughs> yeah. later day, latter day Brando stuff yeah. where I was like, as people say he's lazy, people say he's this, people say he's that, people say he's fucking with the director, whatever. He's still, there's no, there's very few people as compelling as him. You can't I'm take like, your eyes no, off I'm him. like, he's still so goddamn compelling. And I know he's being fed the lines through his ear. And I know he's, I know he's putting a bucket on his head. I, th- I know he's like, I'm hot today. So I want a bucket of ice on my head. It's hot out here. And we're going to just do this scene with a bucket of ice. And they're like, well, but it's not in the script. He's like, we don't need, the script's got a lot of shit we don't need. I will just talk about how badly I need ice. And then we will have a scene. She can pour it right into my head. Just one more round, friend. Then a homeward bound, friend. I think about, you know, watching Streetcar. And mm-hmm. he just jumps off the screen. I mean, he's gorgeous in it. I mean, it's it's just the danger and the... Yeah, he's incredible uh, in that. It's unbelievable. And then, and he, but he's, I mean, the difference between the young Brando and Streetcar and what we're watching in Moreau, mm-hmm. I mean, you would think like, oh God, well, okay, maybe it's just because he's so handsome and so mm-hmm. he's got such animal magnetism when he's young. <laughs> but no, you're right. Even, you know, at 9,000 pounds with Kabuki makeup on and a fucking muumu, he's you still can't take your eyes off of him. Did you say Brando was as good in Streetcar as he was in this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I maybe I didn't mean it that way. I, I he's <laughs> oh god, yeah, dug myself into a big hole there. Fuck, no, but That's a hot my, I guess my, <laughs> really, yeah. I don't disagree. I'm just looking for clarification. He he's just what I'm greatest saying. Greatest performance is, ever committed to film. Ice bucket on head. Little guy at the piano. No, please tell me is the is the devil still pursuing you? <laughs> The phone line is uh, is lighting up here. 
Um, so, uh, you know, if we're, if we're good on Island of Dr. Moreau, oh, yeah. and I think we are, I'll just go ahead and, uh, <laughs> and take the call and see who's on as good as street see car who's on the other, <laughs> see who's on the end of the, on the end Fred of the Burns line. says more of a good as street <laughs> car. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, you heard it here. Yes. Hello. Welcome to the, uh, opening weekend podcast. You are on the air with Dan, Fred and Jason. And by on the air, I mean, you're being recorded. <laughs> Who are you and uh, and uh, what do you have to say? Yes, this is the sayer of the flaw. What is the flaw? To successfully spoof the original while not being quite funny enough. Are we not men? What is the flaw? To make a movie about toxic masculinity while still managing to insult all women. Are we not men? What is the flaw? To fire the original director, let Brando wear an ice bucket on his head, and still make an oddly compelling movie. Are we not men? No more scientists. No more laboratories. No more Ed Burns movies. To review Ed Burns' movies is very hard. <laughs> Perhaps Disorderlies is better. Goodbye. Thank you, Mr. Perlman. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Sayer of the flaw, gentlemen. Sayer of the flaw. He points out that the was, flaws. He really did. I, I know he'll be back. I hope he'll be back. <laughs> I can feel it. That was great. Put him on the recurring. Hold on. I'm going to just see. Put him on the recurring character Between Smidgen and Jeffetta. <laughs> The same smidgen and Geppetto, who we've only mentioned. I've not heard either. Geppetto's of part of the smidgen. Geppetto is part of the uh, the uh, I know, the but have we ever heard him he's speak? He's part of the arthropod for squad. all we know. For all we know, he's a mass <laughs> on a, a roll of paper towels in Jack Nicholson's <laughs> hall closet. We don't know. <laughs> We're just gonna have to see. Maybe Geppetto will call in. I really, I like so. the say, the sayer of the was it the sayer the, of the sayer flaws? of the flaw was just who, who just it. called up um, out of the blue. He, was, he made some very salient he really, points. He really did. He really, really did. I feel like I learned something. I learned a lot. I feel this like week. I, he was talking, and I saw documentary footage of children hitting each other <laughs> on a playground. Uh. <laughs> People throwing tantrums in supermarkets because they don't want to yeah, wear masks. Ed Burns and, sitting I mean, I at home not doing any more movies. I saw that in my head. <laughs> and I was pleased. Okay, so how many Sheilas for Island of Dr. Moreau, boys? I, there's a part of me that wants to give it 10 Sheilas just for sheer <laughs> fucking crazy, what the oh hell, fascination. Like, like, you did this. You managed to make a movie like this. I don't know what this is, but you did it. And for that, you know, thumbs up. Oh yeah, it's God. so eminently watchable. You want to give it like 11 Sheilas because you can't <laughs> take your eyes off. How many movies can you say that about? I can't take my eyes and ears off of this thing. So I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> Boy, I, I'm going to give it seven. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would re more realistically, I'd probably, I, I'll give it, oh, God. Like as a movie, it's probably... Five or six, but five or six is two. <laughs> it's clearly two. No, like disorderlies is is mm. is no disorderlies is zero. Disorderlies got like yeah, just a soggy morsel of <laughs> yeah. cardamom pancake. 
<laughs> what was it? Smear of boysenberry syrup. That was that's it. What, yeah. That's what Dan gave it from a, from a 1980s IHOP. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give it. I think Moreau lives in like the six or seven range. Holy cow! Yes. I, I mean, t- two and a half. It's two. <laughs> it's one for Brando, one for Thewlis, and half for Nelson De La Rosa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like five Sheilas spliced with the DNA of Barry Bostwick and a cardamom pancake. Yeah. And whatever that, I don't know what number that adds up to, but. Yeah. And a side of foot meat. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's like Waffle House. Yeah. Just a side of foot meat. That's all we have today. (laughs) Um, Okay. Very good. Uh, uh, She's the one. How many Sheilas? I get, what did I give to Disorderlies? Did I give it a zero? Yeah. You gave it that smear of boysenberry. Right. So then I have to give this a negative. I have to go into the negative <laughs> oh, number. Jesus. I have to go back to algebra. Uh, negative. Uh, I, 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 t- I take away. If there was a way to go into the to the alternate <laughs> universe and take away Sheila's. To the quantum give, realm? Yeah, like if there were anti she I give it four anti Sheila's. <laughs> I don't mean like someone who's Sheila's aunt. I mean like anti <laughs> Sheila's, like antimatter on Star Trek. It's like it's it it's, it, it sucks a Sheila out of the universe. It does that four times. I that think. is very good. I mean, that's a very good way to do it, to expand our rating system. I that's like this. Saying. I like the the concept of the anti Sheila's. I, I was in the four normal Sheila range, three well, to four. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I didn't think it was awful. She's the one gets Can't. one Sheila. That's it. Thank one you. Sheila for the one in the title. That's it. I mean, there's no, it was not, it was. All right. You just brought I me down to three. Yeah. I'm, I'm so easily swayed. I'm the worst at this because you guys have definitive things that I'm like, I'll start off. I'm like, I'll give it eight. Oh, no. you're, well, maybe a four or a three or six, no. seven. So I don't care. It's somewhere in like the one in the 10 Sheila range. I'm fucking terrible <laughs> at this. Range. I have no right being on a show that talks, I guess that talks about movies and a rating system. It's fine. We all do that. I was brought up on the Monster Squad a little bit by Jason's yeah. uh, love of it. I enjoy things that you, I- when you enjoy them, I enjoy that. That's I true. I yeah. enjoy them. Yeah, no. This was this was this one was hard to enjoy. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a lot. There were a lot of beautiful people on film to look at, and uh, you know, and many McGuire. of whom went on to great <laughs> things. And then Mike McGuire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Here's the thing: it's like I'd never. This is a movie that I would never ever want to watch again. Moreau, exactly. if that was on, I'd be like, well, yeah. I can't turn it off. Yeah, you can't look away. I, I can, would watch. But I, I've why? Re, with Moreau. I realized I was like, I will will not watch this movie again. But I will watch. I will go I to YouTube and watch it. I will watch a super. I know. I will watch a like a little supercut of just his scenes, just Brando's scenes. I could watch that pretty much any day of the week. Just which is probably a total of six minutes. Yeah, of the movie, good. I could watch those six minutes. So. Yeah, you. it doesn't have much rewatch factor, but she's the one. No, not good gravy. Why would you watch any of that again? <laughs> nope. Um, very Brady sequel. Again, I'm thinking in a range. <laughs> I, I'd give it a, a, maybe like a six. You sure you don't want to go up to a seven? Maybe an eight. <laughs> How about a nine? Do I hear ten? Do I hear ten Sheila's for that, a very that, Brady sequel? Oh, I'm so indecisive. Yeah, that's a, good. You're, a six. The first one I, I'd give a little higher, maybe. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I give it a six. First one maybe a seven or an eight. 
Yeah. Actually, no, wait, you know what? I'm going to bring, I'm, I'm going to bring it down to a five. I'm going to bring it down to a five because the first one I'd give higher. So, and there, there was, there, there, there was a pretty big disparity for me with those two movies. I agree with you. And I liked that movie the most uh, of the week, certainly. But I mean, I, I really liked a very Brady sequel, but I would say five also just because if it was the only Brady Bunch movie out there, maybe it would be higher. But I think the first one is probably like a seven or higher, mm. you know, between a so seven far. and an eight for Brady Bunch movie. Uh, no? I'll go five. I'll give an extra half pancake for uh, the Jan girl. She's a hysterical every time she's on. She's Broadway. wonderful. She, she needs to have a big, big career. You guys make that happen somehow. <laughs> that was tw- I, it's been 20 years now, so I don't think I, I don't think it's happening. 20 years it's since that 20, movie came out? 24 years. Can you believe that? That can't be right. How yeah. is that right? That was I mean, Shelley Long, 77? No. Maybe. I don't know. Oh I don't know. She, she probably was not 55 then or whatever. Honey, I think you've stirred that enough. Let's see who we can alienate next week <laughs> on opening weekend. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be traveling back in time to August 26th, 1994, and a trio of movies including Natural Born Killers, directed by Oliver Stone and starring Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis. It's Pat, the Saturday Night Live sketch adaptation starring Julia Sweeney, and Corina Corina, a romance starring Ray Liotta and Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, that's next week on opening weekend. And now, Dan, you got anything to take us out with? The love theme from Dr. Moreau. <laughs> uh, Can I make a request? Just just the sounds of rutting. <laughs> Can you do that uh, with a handful? Maybe that's the only way to do it. Maybe that would be something like this. Can you do that? Oh, God. Good, good. Show how you love her. Perfect. <laughs> Make a horse, baby. <laughs> yeah. I meant that both as make a horse, comma, baby, and make a horse, baby. Mr. McGlone, what are you doing here? Oh, you've just been born. <laughs> Wonderful. You're going to go on to make many people very unhappy on screen. <laughs> I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. I'm sure he's actor. great. He doesn't. He he he's. It's not. It's only partially his fault. Oh, the Brady Bunch theme. When we Brady do that. Nice. Wonderful. Whoa, that one caused me a little that's, bit of pain, I have to say. The pinkies that's are tingling. For this week. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> the pinkies are tingling. <laughs> Anything you say we could use. <laughs> <laughs> Is that horse baby ready? Meat hook? Meat Meat foot. Meat foot. Oh, don't do that. Oh, meat foot. Oh, there I go. 
Yeah, get your meat foot off the oh. table, meat foot. Oh, for God's sake, Mr. Blysdale, please. <laughs> I'm just looking for my role of bounty. Mutiny on the bounty. <laughs> I was in that. <laughs> oh, God. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.